I probably heard it uh, 10,000 times growing up. Robert, watch your posture. Watch your posture. My parents would constantly tell me, hold up your shoulders. Put your head back. Hold up your shoulders. Watch your posture. And it was about sixth grade that we understood why they had to tell me that so much. We did like a physical at the school, and they had us lean over. And the, the, the school reported to my family, hey, we think Robert has scoliosis. And so that week, they, went to a, they sent me to a specialist. And sure enough, I have bad scoliosis. And they said, it's, it's actually incredible that you can stand as straight as you can. And it gave my parents a lot of compassion on me. But I'm thankful that they never let up on telling me to watch my posture. They started sending me to a chiropractor, started giving me physical therapy. They taught me how to, to lean up against a wall. They got, gave me exercises. And the reason they never let up is that they knew that if I didn't watch, watch my posture, I'd have a lot of pain in my later life. I want to say that that's a great analogy or illustration because as believers, our posture matters. But way more than our physical posture, it's our heart posture. And so today, my, my message is entitled, Your Posture Matters and Two Heart Postures to Win the War. Two heart postures. We're going to look at a very convicting number of scriptures from James chapter 4, and then we're going to move into an Old Testament book to do a character study. This is what James chapter 4 says, You adulterous people. You see why I started out with jokes? before hitting you with that. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your, your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. I'll never forget my junior year in college. I had been a Christian for numerous years. I, I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior at seven years old, but I certainly didn't live a God-honoring life. And so I'm sitting in the back of this church service that was actually in Mexico on a mission trip, and the preacher starts talking about this verse in James chapter four, that God opposes the proud. And he actually said that that word in the Greek is, is akin to God stiff arms the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It says, humble yourself under the mighty right hand of God, and he will lift you up. Here are the two postures that we see so clearly written out. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Humility and submission are imperative for us winning the war. Humility and submission, imperative for us to win the war. So let's give a definition of humility from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Humility is freedom for pride, freedom from pride or arrogance. The Bible says in the last days that men would be lovers of themselves. You know, uh, pride is actually put forth. It's, it's propagated. It's encouraged in this generation. I've talked 
numerous times about how when I was a kid and you'd watch uh, professional sports, when someone did something great, it was it was uh, commendable if, you know, a quarterback threw a pass, they kind of put their head down and just run off the, the, the field. And you'd be like, oh, that's awesome guy. Or someone made an awesome catch. They'd, they kind of look and just give a little grin. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the celebration, um, like, uh, dance acts. Uh, they take like 30 seconds, you know, they, the whole team runs and then they're, you know, doing these, the, the, these Saturday Night Fever dance acts and, um, you know, and, and, and now we have these phrases like, man, he's the goat. You heard that phrase? Uh, the younger people have, the older people are like, oh, you're calling him a barnyard animal? No. Uh, well, the goat means the greatest of all time. And so, you know, people, people really started calling Tom Brady, he's the goat of professional football. People call the, the goat of music or, or we say, hey, he's that guy or he's the guy, right? Or, you know, uh, we can't do anything today without putting forth ourselves. You can't, you can't like uh, smile without needing to post it, right? Anything good that happens needs to be posted, needs to be bragged on. And, and so we're actually taught today to be prideful, to actually promote all our accomplishments. And then submission, here's a godly definition from the scripture, uh, putting this together. Submission is to surrender to God, his will and his ways by committing to obey him in every area of life. Submission, to surrender to God, his will and his ways by committing to obey him in every area of life, but submission actually is spoken against. I mean, it's all uh, uh, about doing your own thing and being your own person, and you never submit to anyone, and just follow your heart. And so these, these two values that are imperative for us to win in the kingdom are actually antithetical to our world's culture. Here's what I'd want to say today. I want to propose to you that humility plus submission equals lordship. Humility plus submission equals lordship. Today, in the church, there are many that are saved, but few that are committed to his lordship. There's many that are saved, but few that are committed to his lordship. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Um, let me ask you a question. Is salvation free? Not a trick question. Is salvation free? Yes. Uh, the Bible says it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by works. Salvation is free, but God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you are at your worst, Christ died for you. It's free. You cannot earn your salvation. The, the classic point is the thief on the cross. He did nothing. He did, he, all he did was he cried out. He said, Jesus, remember me. He, he didn't even say a sinner's prayer. He just said, Jesus, remember me. Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. It's a free gift. But lordship, becoming his disciple, is different. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Let me just say it this way. Salvation costs you nothing. 
being a disciple will cost you greatly. Salvation costs you nothing. Being a disciple will cost you greatly. And so why would you then be a disciple? Because in order to live out your God-given destiny, it comes through lordship and discipleship. You will be saved and you will go to heaven, but you will forfeit your God-given plan and design if you don't submit and humble yourself to the lordship of Christ. Are you following me, church? And today we live in a day and age where that is very uncommon. So I actually wanna take the rest of our time to look at a man in the Bible who was chosen by God. He was loved and chosen by God, but because of the failure in his life to posture his heart rightly, he forfeited his destiny and his position. His name is King Saul. And King Saul is actually juxtaposed to his successor, King David, who was equally as messed up, but he had a much different heart posture. So let's jump into the story. We're gonna look in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15, let me just give you a picture. We're in the Old Testament. King Saul has been taking over the land of Israel. God is using him to actually take over and, and unite the tribes, and they're gonna be one people, and they are at war. Kind of like right now, Israel's at war. King Saul is the leader. Uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual leader named Samuel. He's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. Samuel's actually the one who anointed and put Saul into his kingship. And so we're gonna see what Samuel says to Saul. It says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. So let me just give you some context. Let's jump back. Numerous books. Do you remember that Israel was in captivity in Egypt? And so God leads them out. They're finally coming out of there and they're finally free. And then the Amalekites, this evil, pagan, destructive, violent people, waylays them, attacks them, kills all these people, just tries to destroy them. And so God's saying, hey, there's coming a time of judgment for, for anyone who does that. And so Saul, this is the time. So I need you to go and I need you to attack the Amalekites. And it says this, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all the things that belong to them. Don't spare them, but put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. I mean, this is really rough, but God's saying like this punishment's severe because they tried to destroy my people and they need to be gone. And so he tells them to go do this, but you need to see what happens next. Verse seven, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So here's my question, was Saul obedient? No, he left, he was totally told to, to destroy all the people. He leaves Agag alive. He keeps the very best things so that they can have a feast, they can have a party. Verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Listen to God's emotions. I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and he's not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. 
See, God actually regrets. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I regret that I, I made Saul my friend. He doesn't say, I regret that I made Saul. No, he loves Saul. But he's like, I regret that I made him king and gave him this position because he hasn't fulfilled my will. Now watch this. Early in the morning, this is verse 12, Samuel got up, remember Samuel's a prophet, and went to meet Saul, King Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what's this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, um, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. And they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. I want to talk to you about four heart postures that will be opposed by the Lord. God has put in each one of you, men and women, a destiny to fulfill. Uh, you're not just here taking up space on earth you each have this beautiful blueprint in you to advance his kingdom, to know God, to enjoy him and fellowship with him, and then to make him known on the earth in a way that only you can. Like there's a race marked out for each one of you. But there are four heart postures that will totally disqualify you from actually living out your calling. Now, I'm not saying that will keep you from, from being saved. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you're going to be saved. Your sins are forgiven. You spend eternity with him. So take that off the table. But I want you to not just be saved, but to make it through life having run your race, having accomplished your purpose. Because it was said of David, Saul's successor, that he, he was known as a friend of God who accomplished everything he was called to in his generation. And guys, that's what I want. I want to cross into heaven and I want God to say, you accomplished the calling of God on your life in your generation. Don't you want that said of you? Let's look at Saul because it wasn't said of him. Number one, first heart posture that God will oppose is pride. Did you see that? It said after he fights the war, he creates a monument to himself. And we think like, oh, you're so cocky. I would never do that. Right? I would never build a monument. No, you might not build it, but you'd post it. <laughs> right? On Instapride. Uh, um, God opposes the proud. I mean, I, I remember sitting on the back of that, of that sanctuary and the preacher talking about God opposes the proud. And I started getting nauseated because I realized like everything in my life is people to see. Like, I'm all, I can't do anything without talking about it, without showing it, without dropping it. I, I'm dropping names. I'm dropping my, my accomplishments. Like, what is it? And here's the crazy thing about Saul. Like, why would he need to do that? He was the stinking king. And he was, a, if you look at him, he was a head and shoulders taller than everyone. And he was super handsome. Can I tell you why? It's because you will never accomplish enough to feel good about yourself. Some of you are like, I am so offended by that. My mom told me I could do whatever I, I set my mind to. Your mom was a liar. You'll, 
you, you are not made as a human to ever accomplish enough. And that's why we need Jesus, right? That he is our prize. He is our portion. He is our cup. It's not your accomplishments. It's not your beauty. It's not your looks. It's not your, what, what you've made, right? Some of it, I mean, you're like, I never, I never make a monument to myself. And then yet some of us, we, we have to go and buy a house that makes everyone go like, wow. And our house becomes a monument. Or our car, like I have to have this car because then it's like a monument to my manliness or my sexiness or whatever, right? And so we have all these monuments. And here's another thing that, that, that Saul did is he left the king, King Agag, alive, right? And so some of you were like, oh, that was so compassionate of you. That was so sweet of you. No, he killed all the other people. He killed the, you know, he, if he would have been so compassionate, he wouldn't have killed the women and the children. No, he was keeping King alive because he was, am I losing my mic? He was keeping him alive. He was like a big elk head on the wall, right? Because what he'd have in his trophy room is you'd come into the room and you'd see Agag in the courts of the king. And people would go like, dang, you beat Agag, right? He's, a, he's, a, he's your prisoner, Right? How many of us can do something great and not show everyone and tell everyone? The scripture says, let another person praise you. Let me just be really honest. Um, you know, I'd, I'd surrendered my life to Jesus in, in my early 20s. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to serve you, Lord. And then we had ministry success. And, and Steph and I were leading this college group. And it grew really large. And I'll never forget, I was trying to get some guy to come and speak at our conference, and in the email, I wrote like, and our college group is this big, and I gave him the exact number, and I was like, and we've started this many life groups, and we just took this many people to on a mission trip, right? And I mean, it sounds awesome, but it was pride. Two weeks later, a, a, a hate group on our campus writes this article about me. Now, the things it said were harsh and untrue and unfair, but all of a sudden, it pruned our group by a third. Because anyone that thought it was cool to be a part of us, they're like, they're no longer cool, right? Uh, I'm not saying that every time that hate comes, that it's because of something wrong you've done. But what I am saying is God opposes the proud. And sometimes the resistance we're getting is because God's actually letting us be blocked so that we wouldn't try to steal his glory. And and when we set ourselves up in pride, that is what made Satan fall, right? He was, he was the best looking. He was the most glorious. And he said, I'm going to set myself up and be worshipped. And, 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 and that's actually what made him fall and go from being an angel to the devil. So, man, I just, I, I've been searching my heart this week going like, Lord, are there ways that I am prideful, that I have to drop names, that I have to drop things, that I have to make sure people know? The Bible says, let another man praise you. The Bible says, let him who boasts, boast that they know the Lord. So, church, let's be a humble church. Number two, number two is religiosity. Okay, you're like, wait, I thought it was good to be religious. No, it's good to be a person of devotion to Jesus, but not to try to have this. What is religiosity? It's trying to have an appearance of being religious. So Samuel shows up and Saul goes, the Lord bless you. He's just disobeyed. And he's like, the Lord bless you. He's saying this great churchy thing. 
And then Samuel is like, what are you doing? He goes, I've totally obeyed the Lord. So there's this like religious veneer we try to hide behind, right? That we, we try to put it on and we try to look more spiritual or more religious than we are. And that's actually why in our vision statement, we say, get rocked, get real. We're actually saying, hey, it's, you don't need to come here and act more spiritual than you are. God actually opposes that. Like if you look, who's the person that Jesus rebuked the most in scripture? It actually wasn't the party people. It was the religious people. He's like, you guys that are trying to act like you're so spiritual and, and really it's just pride in your heart. And you, you wanna wear your religious garments. Church, we actually, God, God is not impressed with our religiousness. And so let's, let's stop talking that way. Okay, here is a, a, a fascinating verse that I've been meditating on this week. I want you to look at it from the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. Okay, have, have you ever seen it? I was, I was listening to a teaching about that this week and it just was so impacting. Uh, can you put up the Matthew chapter five in the New King James Version? Watch this. So Jesus is talking about heart motive after heart motive after heart motive. And I think most of the times we just re read this and we're like, okay, this is just a good instruction in case I get in a lawsuit. And I think Jesus actually, if we looked at the context, was giving us more about our hearts. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. And you're like, wait, that is so confusing. Agree with your adversary so you don't get thrown into prison? The devil, we've been talking about this on the war of your mind, he continually comes with these thoughts. You're not good enough. You're a loser. You're not pure enough. How dare you share about Jesus? You're a mess up. And so as Christians, we're like, uh-uh. No, I am. I am good. I read the Bible last week. I, I didn't cheat. I said, no. You know what we need to do? The devil comes to attack and says, Robert, you're not pure enough. You know what I need to say? Devil, you're right. I'm not pure enough. But I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Robert, you're not loving. You know what? You're right. Because some of us are like, yeah, I am. I visited my grandma last week. Yeah, I am. But I talked to that person no one else likes for like 30 seconds. Are you following me? And we're trying to justify ourselves by our self-righteousness, by our religiousness, instead of just saying, no, devil, I agree. You're right. I'm not loving. I'm not pure. But I know he who is, and he lives in me. And therefore, he's cleansed me by his blood. And therefore, I'm living empowered by the Holy Spirit. So no, it's not me. It's you. And you're right. You can accuse me all day long, and I'm going to stop trying to justify myself because I don't want to end up in prison. I'm going to agree with my adversary and say, devil, you're right. But Jesus, he's righter. Are you following me? Because so many of us, we live in this like, are oh, my good deeds outweigh my bad? Am I being more religious than I am being sinful? Right? And it's time to just stop and say, let's cut out the religiosity and say, yeah, I am undeserving. But while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. 
And it's only by his grace. If you're in church today, it is only by his grace that he got you here. Or the grace of your spouse or your friend who dragged you with him. And it's still his grace. Right? Everything you have in you. Because when I start preaching a message like this, some of us are like, oh, I just got to work harder. I've got to like beat down pride. And I've got to, no, let the grace of God. The scripture says in James 4, but he gives more grace And so it's me just humbling myself and saying, you know what? I can't do it, but I need your grace, Lord. Your grace didn't just save me. It also empowers me to say no. Because here's the next one. Sensuality. Sensuality. So I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you do. In fact, so many of us disqualify ourselves from living out the calling of God and the place that he wants to give us because of our sensuality. How many Christian leaders have you seen that they were running a great race, but then they had this hidden sin? Like, I think Saul was probably like this. He probably thought in in his mind, I deserve some good veal Parmesan from the cattle of the Amalekites because I've been like out fighting this battle, right? we, We deserve to have a good feast. We deserve... We deserve that. Or, or like, you know, d- does it really, like, I'm saved by grace, so why don't I just give into a little sin anyway? Or, you know, everyone does it. James chapter four. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses, there's the word, chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I am so, th- well, listen to this. For rebellion, this is back to 1 Samuel 15, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I am so thankful for my own prophet Samuel. I, I had two guys that came up and confronted me. And sometimes it's loving. Like everyone, we don't go around like harshly name calling people, but every once in a while, God will actually challenge you to confront someone. I am so thankful for Garnet Sykes. Okay, Garnet Sykes was a kid that was one year older than me. And in, in high school, at the end of high school, I was a Christian, but I was just living like a partier. Because I was like, this whole Christianity thing, you know, God's just going to forgive me, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. And so I was, I was into sexually messing around, and I was into partying. And I am so thankful that one day I get a letter. My mom's like, hey, you, you received a letter in the mail. And I'm like, this is so interesting. I open the letter, and it says, dear Robert, you say that you're a Christian, but you live like a lost person. Why are you continually at the parties that where, where, where you're just, you're parting, and why are you continually doing this? You are giving us Christians a bad name. Have you ever gotten a letter like that? I was so mad. I actually got out a piece of paper, and I wrote, Dear Garnet, you do not know me. You do not know my life. You do not know what I'm doing. How dare you say this? And I mailed it back. And it was taken in the mail, and then, oh, God, God was like, he's right. Garnet's right. And I was like, oh, God. And yet I didn't change. And so then I'm at this, this retreat weekend with a small group of, of seniors. And 
the, the, God puts me with this youth leader named Scott. And Scott ends up in the middle of the weekend saying, Robert, let's go get frozen yogurt. And he takes me to a, a yogurt place and we walk out and I, I'm excited to hang with him. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Scott thinks I'm cool. And we walk out and there's just a group of these kids that are all in like black chains, black makeup, you know, like not church kids. And <clears throat> Scott walks up to them and just starts talking to them, making conversation. And I'm like, wait, Christians don't talk to people that look like that. And they start talking about Jesus and they're listening to him. And they're like totally feeling loved by him. And he turns away and looks at me and I'm, I'm, my jaws just drop because I'm like, what are you doing? And he looks at me and he goes, Robert, you're a leader. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and you're going to either lead people to hell or lead them to Jesus. It's time for you to decide. <laughs> I am so thankful that people confronted me on my sensuality. I'm so thankful for the prophet Samuels who actually got up in my face and said, it's time for you to decide. Are you going to live for the world? Or are you going to live for Jesus? Because really, I was miserable. It's a miserable place to be, to be a Christian that's steeped in sin because you're too convicted to enjoy it. Right? Let's talk about the last one. Fear of man. Fear of man. So he, he kept, he, he actually kept the cattle. He says, I was afraid of the men, so I gave it to them. Let, let me just tell you, the scripture says, fear of man will be a snare. Are we living out of the fear of the Lord or out of fear of man? Do we make our decisions based on what other people think and how my image is with them? I'm so glad that Garnet didn't live with the fear of man. He didn't say, I wonder what Robert's gonna think. He was like, I'm just gonna honor God. God's telling me to write this letter. It changed my life. And I, I, I wonder how many, how many people are gonna be in heaven because Garnet decided to not fear man, but instead obey him and do something hard, right? And so we've gotta decide, am I, gonna, am I gonna fear man or am I gonna fear God? This is what it goes on to say. Then, Samuel, then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. So he convicts him, he goes, I've sinned. I've violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave into them. He was afraid, and so instead of honoring the Lord, he just does what the, the, the people want. And that cost him greatly. He goes, now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his garment and it tore. Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I've sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I might worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. I'm not talking about, and we can talk much more about this. I'm not I'm talking about Saul losing his relationship with God. Like if you look at it, Samuel who actually comes back and speaks to him, says, you're gonna be with me, Saul. So Saul never lost his relationship with God. He lost his position and lost his contribution on earth. It was torn from him because of his lack of humility and submission, because he cared more about what people thought 
than what God thought. Who are we living for? Are we living for the fear of the world or the fear of the Lord? I, um, I love what this poet and composer said from, from India. His name is Robin Dranath Tagore. He says this, I have a, on my table a violin string. It's free to move in any direction I like. If I twist it one end, it responds. It's free. But it's not free to sing. So I take it and I fix it into my violin. I bind it. And when it is bound, it is free for the first time to sing. I, I want to ask you what your life is like. You know, so many of us are like, hey, I'm just going to do what I want. The guitar string. Yeah, this is free, right? But I also want to tell you, <clears throat> it's dangerous. Like a guitar string, you just start swinging this around, it's poke someone's eye out, right? Uh, have you ever heard that? Oh, wow. Um, have you ever heard the phrase a live wire? Like that person's a live wire. That is a derogatory term, meaning like they're powerful. But you never know what they're going to do. And I want to say that many Christians are like that. You're powerful, but you're out of control. And so you actually cause more destruction for the kingdom than the advancement of the kingdom. And so we think, oh, I'm free. No one's going to tell me what to do. I just, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And yet you don't serve the purpose that God created you. But if you let yourself be bound, if you let yourself be bound, you're like, oh, this is so hard. I mean, it was so hard for me. It was so hard for me to actually say, yes, I am going to humble myself and submit to the Lord. But when you do that, what happens? You're bound. A beautiful sound comes from your life. Unbound, yeah, you can, you can move around, but you cause more harm than pain. But when you let yourself be submitted, something beautiful comes from your life. It actually draws people to you. It actually brings people's focus upward. It takes them into the presence of God. It changes their life forever. So I... Uh, that pastor's talking about humble yourself under the mighty right hand of God and he will lift you up. And man, it pierced my heart so much that he said, if, if you're ready to just fully submit your life to God. He wasn't talking about being saved. I was already saved. He was like, if you're, if you're willing to do whatever God says, then I want you to come to the front, get on your knees and humble yourself and repent. Man, I ran to the front and I... I just said, God, I'm so sorry for all the things I put my pride in. I'm so sorry that it's always been about me. And today I release everything to you. And when I did, not only did it bring such a joy of a weight lifting off my shoulders, but the power of God came on my life. Like I actually felt his power and his presence because I had become an empty vessel. I'd become a surrendered vessel. Why don't we stand up?